All right, I hope you have your Bibles with you tonight. This is our fifth study. We have, no, fourth study. We have two more weeks of the Institute, and we will be done. It's hard to believe it's coming close to an end. And I hope our time, our study on the tabernacle has been a blessing to you. Let's begin with prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together and give us understanding and most of all application to our study tonight. Dear Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that we have a book that's trustworthy, dependable, that's perfect, and absolutely no error, no contradiction, a book we can depend upon, we can trust, because it is your word, your love letter given to us. Father, we pray as we study the tabernacle, the, uh, that which you instructed Moses to build in the wilderness. Pray that we might get a greater understanding of it tonight and see how as a picture of Christ, and Lord, uh, help us apply it to our lives, rejoice in the great God that we have, Christ in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you notice here at the tabernacle, we've been, I think this is the picture in front of your little brochure that I gave you, of the tabernacle. Again, if you look over here to your left, and we're talking about the fence around the outer court. Here's the gate. Once you went inside the gate, the first thing you saw was the brazen altar. That's where they offered up animal sacrifices. But the Jew who sinned, wanted forgiveness, would come with an animal sacrifice, bring it inside the courtyard here and give it to a priest. The priest would slay the animal, and right before he would slay the animal, the sinner would place his hands upon the sacrifice, identifying that animal would be in his place, dying in his stead. And so the animals were sacrificed here. And from there, the next piece of furniture was called the brass laver. That's where the priests would wash their feet and hands before they could go into the tabernacle itself. So here's the brazen altar, the brass laver with water, and this is the tabernacle itself here. Once you went into it, we talked about last week, the first compartment's called the holy place. Immediately to your left was the golden candlestick, to your right was the table of showbread, and directly in front of you before the veil was the altar of incense. We covered all that last week. So tonight we're going to talk about the holy holy place, the Holy of Holies, the last compartment where the Ark of the Covenant existed. We're going to talk about that tonight. So we're going to get four things tonight. First of all, some general information about the holy place, the most holy. Now the first compartment is called the holy place. The second one is called the most holy, or literally the Holy of Holies, which we're going to look at tonight. Then we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant. Then the mercy seat, that's a lid upon the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll conclude tonight with a cloud and the pillow of fire that represented God's presence with his people. So let's begin tonight talking about the uh, general information. Here again, here's something back up. The picture here is we're going to talk about the tabernacle. Again, the first part was called the holy place. The next divided by a veil was called the holy of holies, the most holy place. That's where God dwelt. And in that compartment, only one person can go in there once a year called the high priest. All the other priests could go in here, but only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And that was once a year on the Day of Atonement. That's where the very presence of God was. Again, i show the diagram here. This was the brazen altar, the brass laver inside the holy place and into the Holy of Holies. Remember, that was divided by a veil. All right, some general information. Uh, 
You get a chance, you can look up the scripture there in Genesis 26, 33 and 34. The most holy place is also called the Holy of Holies. Again, that's the place where God himself dwelt. And it was a distinction made from the, just the holy place. Very sacred place of God dwelt there himself. Usually a word that's underlined is a blank on your sheet, so I hope you can fill those in. Next, the Ark of the Covenant resided in the most holy place. And again, only the high priest can see that. Now, when they moved to another location, they always covered the Ark of the Covenant with some kind of garment. So, but only the high priest could see that once a year on the Day of Atonement. The Shekinah glory of God rested upon the lid of the ark, the mercy seat. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 40, please. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. The Shekinah glory of God. Now, the word Shekinah is not found in the Bible. It is a man-named term given to the glory of God, the brightness of his glory, that when God manifested himself to man, it was in the form of bright light, and that was referred to as the Shekinah glory of God. And uh, in Exodus chapter 40, in verse 33, please. Exodus 40, verse 33. Then I'm going to show you some New Testament examples of the Shekinah glory of God. Exodus 40, look in verse 33, please. Here's when they finally completed the tabernacle in verse 33. And he, Moses, reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hangings of the court. So Moses finished the work. That meant the work of the tabernacle was now finished complete. In verse 34, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. Talking about the tabernacle itself. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35, and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of congregation because the cloud, the cloud abode their own, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 36, and when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward on the, all the journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed uh, not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and a fire was on it by night in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is throughout the 40 years in the wilderness. God dwelt among them in the tabernacle. But notice Moses cannot enter at that time because of the glory of the Lord. I found this picture. And I thought I'd share it with you. Because remember, the, the shine of glory hovered over the mercy seat in the tabernacle. That's the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God's Shekinah glory dwelt, right over the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat was a picture of the throne of heaven. These two angels called cherubs, we covered last week, are also are in heaven. The real things are in heaven. And God sits upon his throne, which is right here. And two angels hover over the throne of God called the cherubs. And so this lid was a picture of heaven itself, the throne of God itself. Here's the measurements of the most holy place. In fact, it's a perfect square. 
is 10 cubics or 15 feet long, 10 cubics or 15 feet wide, and the same thing high. A perfect cube is where it was. Interesting. Just something to come to mind as I'm saying this. The New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 is a perfect cube. The measurements of that is a cube also. And may, I don't, just come to mind as I mentioned that. We're going to look at something in a few moments. In fact, let me back up because I forgot to share this with you. Let me back up to the Shekinah glory. Go with me now to Matthew chapter 17, please. Here is an evidence of the Shekinah glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. You heard the story about the Mount of the Transfiguration when the Lord appeared unto the disciples in his glorified body. And it represented the Shekinah glory of God. Matthew 17, please. Matthew 17. There were three disciples that saw Jesus in his glorified body. Matthew 17. Give you a moment to find that. In verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, about the three disciples of the inner circle, his brother, and bringeth him up in a high mountain. Verse 2. And, to my, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the what? The sun, and his raiment as white as a light. In other words, here they got to see the Shekinah glory in the person of Jesus Christ. And it shine as the sun. It was quite bright. And so here he is in his glorified body. This would be the body that when he comes back at his second coming, this would be the way he'll look. And it says in verse 3, I love this, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. So Peter, James, and John saw Christ in his glorified body. And who appeared with him? It says there, Moses and Elijah, Elijah talking with him. And in verse 4, and then answered Peter and said unto the Lord, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Now, there's a question for you. How did disciples know it was Moses? How did he know it was Elijah? They never saw him before. They lived hundreds of years before did he come back with a nameplate? Says, hello, I'm Moses, and hello, I'm Elijah. I think it represents that we will know each other in heaven. I've never seen Moses. How many of you have seen Moses before? <laughs> but you will one day, and you'll know him. Not because he has a nameplate on. They knew exactly who he was. They never saw him before. They saw Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus, and they knew him. I believe that represents symbolic. When we go to heaven, you're going to see the apostle Paul know him. You'll see Moses know him, see Peter, you know him. You don't have to introduce yourself. You'll know him, and he'll know you. I believe that was this, how this refers to here. In verse 5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of heaven, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. This is God the Father. Speaking out of heaven. Here Jesus was in his glorified body. Most Elijah appeared to him, talking with him. And a voice came from heaven, God the Father. And how did the disciples respond? They fell on their faces before God. 
when they were afraid. And verse 7, and Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And we lift up their eyes. They saw no man save Jesus only. So Moses and Elijah disappeared. And just for a moment, they got to see Moses and Elijah. Now, interesting. Why was this Moses and Elijah, of not of all of them? Now, we know that, that uh, in the book of Revelation, there are two witnesses who come back. And, we, and one of them we know is Elijah. And other, and other people think one will be Moses because they will bring plagues upon the earth during the tribulation period. And it's the same plagues that Moses brought upon Egypt he'll bring upon the earth and also Elijah. And if you notice about Moses and Elijah, you know, uh, they never, uh, remember Moses died and God took his body. And of course, Elijah never died. Remember, he was called up and taken to heaven. So anyway, uh, there's uh, two there we see. Now, but anyway, and go with me now to, so here's an example of the Shekinah glory of God in the person of Christ. Go with me now to Revelation. Revelation 21. This is the new Jerusalem that the Lord creates. You get a chance, uh, read about it. In fact, if you back up to 21 verse I got the wrong page. Here it is. I'm looking at the wrong page. Here. Revelation 21. Go to verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1. It said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse 2. And I, John, saw a holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Interesting, in John 14, Jesus said, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, what? Mansions. If we're not, he said, if we're not so, I would told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there may be also. This is the prepared place. Look at it again in verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the place Jesus promised in John 14. I go prepare a place for you. This is the place. And you read all about it here. He actually gives the dimensions of it, everything about it. But skip all the way down to verse, verse uh, 23. 23. Here's another example of the Shekinah glory of God. And it talks all about the measurements, the, the, the material that made this great, tremendous city. And verse 20, and the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it. Why? For the what? The glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So here, the Shekinah glory of God is the light of this great city that he's prepared uh, for us. And by the way, you'll be there. If you know Christ, you'll be there. I will be there one day. And join that beautiful place he's prepared special for us. That is examples of the Shekinah glory of God. All right, let's move on. Here's where we were before. It's a perfect cube shape. Now let's go to the next one here. The high priest entered 
the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, the lid of the ark to atone for the sins, uh, for his sins and the people's sins. If you have your Bibles, turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Again, there's underlying words that are usually blanks on your sheet. Again, the high priest entered the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, next week, we're going to study the high priest and all his garments, so hopefully you don't miss that. To sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. That's the lid of the ark. We're going to talk about the mercy seat later on. And to make atonement, first of all, for his own sins and also for the sins of the people. And Hebrews 9, look with me in verse 6, please. Hebrews 9, verse 6. It said, And when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, talking about the holy place. Remember, the tabernacle was divided by two compartments. The holy place, what had the, remember the golden lampstand, the table, the table of showbread, and so on. I just lost my place. Forgive me here for a second. Bible fellow. All right. And when verse talking about the priests went always in the first time of the first compartment, the holy place, accomplishing the service of God where they did the table show bread, altar of incense, and the uh, golden lampstand. But verse 7, but into the second, to about the most holy place, with the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs, the sins of his what? People. Now, if you would, skip down to verse 11. Verse 11. But Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not this building. So he's talking about the tabernacle in heaven. Remember, when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him a pattern of the uh, diagram of the, uh, uh, what do you call it here? The tabernacle. See, my mind went blank. It was a picture of the one in heaven. And so here it talks about the one in heaven again. That Christ, the high priest, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands like the one Moses did, that is to say, a knot of this building. But verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the most holy place, having obtained what kind of redemption for us? Eternal redemption for us. I like that, don't you? Interesting. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shed his precious blood, but notice here, what happened to his blood? Now, I wish we had time to go into this. His blood was incorruptible. We're not redeemed by corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but, but the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. That means it would not decay. It would not die. So what happened to his blood if it would not decay? Because it was incorruptible. He took it to heaven with him. The blood shed on Mount Calvary. It says here, by his own blood, verse 12. 
he entered into the once and the holy place in heaven. And he took his blood and sprinkled upon the mercy seat in heaven to atone for our sins. And so that's what he did uh, with his own blood. Just like the high priest did once a year, he did that when he went to heaven with his own blood. All right, let's move on. The Ark of the Covenant, that was the only piece of furniture inside the most holy place called the Holy of Holies, was the Ark of the Covenant. Let's talk about that now. Here's a picture of it. We're going to have several pictures of it. The lid on the Ark of the Covenant was called the Mercy Seat. Again, there's a picture of it there in a little diagram. The Ark was made of acacia wood and was overlaid with gold inside and out. The ark was made with that ocean wood, it's also called shittim wood, and overlaid with gold inside and out, with a crown, gold crown, a molding set around the edge of the top. If you notice, every piece of furniture inside the tabernacle was overlaid, it was either gold Solid gold overlaid with gold. Outside of the tabernacle was brass. Remember bronze altar, bronze labor? But inside there were uh, either solid gold or wood overlaid with gold. That was true of the Ark of the Covenant. Four gold rings, one on each corner, were placed for the carrion poles. So when the God moved the... Uh, told the people to move. The priests had to pick the, the Ark of the Covenant up and carry it. The poles were acacia wood overlaid with gold and they were placed in the, the rings on each side to be able to carry this Ark of the Covenant. Remember they carried, when they parted the red, I mean the, the sea, remember the, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant out to the middle of it uh, and stood there while by crossed over the Jordan River. The mercy seat was set on top of the ark. Uh, it was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant on which the uh, had two molded cherubims. Am I going too fast? All right. The measurements of the ark. My thing is, how many of us seen the Raiders of the Lark's Ark? I, I enjoyed that movie. <laughs> I seen it a long time ago. It was back in the late 70s, early 80s when it came out with Harrison Ford, but I thought that was interesting. It was Hollywood's version, but I actually got to see a picture, of, I mean, a version of it. It was two and a half cubits, uh, 45 inches in length, and 27 inches wide. So it wasn't that big but being overlaid with gold inside and out, and the lid was solid gold, I'm sure it was quite heavy. And 27 inches high. All right. Again, there's a picture of it inside. We have a picture of, here's the uh, altar of incense. Here's the veil. Inside the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, which, uh, where the God dwelt himself in there. The contents of the ark, 
are listed in Hebrews 9. You have Hebrews chapter 9, turn to me, please. And then I'll let you fill out. The contents are Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. In fact, we'll go and read 9, verse 1. He describes the tabernacle in detail. Who wrote the book of Hebrews, by the way? Anybody know? Now, who do we think wrote, who do you think wrote it? I, I believe Paul did. It does not tell us. Paul usually began his epistles by saying, Paul the apostle written so-and-so, but he did not hear. Whoever it was written to Jewish believers, Hebrews, I believe Paul wrote it. Some people disagree with that, but whoever wrote it, it is the written, is inspired of God. In chapter 9, verse 1, look what it says, please. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances, divine service of a worldly tabernacle. The first covenant was Mount Sinai uh, with the worldly sanctuary. They're talking about the tabernacle. Verse 2, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, the first compartment, the holy place, a candlestick and a table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Verse 3, and the second veil, the tabernacle was called the holiest of all, the holy, the most holy place of the holy holies, which had a golden censer and the what? Ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was a golden, here's the three contents, a golden pot of, that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Talk about the Ten Commandments. So you can fill those out. The contents included the stones of the Ten Commandments. Remember Moses got those on Mount Sinai? Remember he was there. How long was Moses on Mount Sinai? Forty days. And he, God gave him the Ten Commandments on, uh, on tablets. And he came down and saw the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. Remember that? They uh, constrained uh, Moses' brother to make that. And they bowed down to worship it. And so what did Moses do to the tablets? He threw them down and broke them <laughs> out of anger. So, and then uh, he went, had to go back up another 40 days and get another tablet. And so once they got that, then they were stored into the Ark of the Covenant, one of the uh, items in there. Number two was a jar, or some people can say a pot of manna. Remember, manna was the food that God uh, used to feed Israelites every day. For 40 years, they ate manna. And so evidently special food sustained their physical bodies. Anybody know what the word manna means? It means wh what it is. <laughs> well, what is it? And that's what the word manna means. In fact, when the, remember, it rained down from heaven. Every morning they go out and gather some just enough for that day. And when the Jews saw it, you know how they responded? What is it? Or what it is? <laughs> and that's where the word manna come from. And so uh, he fed them that for 40 years. So he took some of that and put it in a jar and put it in the tabernacle, in the Ark of the Covenant. And then there was Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod which budded and bore fruit. Remember Aaron's rod? Remember when uh, Aaron was the uh, tribe of Levi, which God chose to be the priest. 
and then there was representatives of all the other 12 tribes and come confronted Moses and says, you take too much authority upon yourself, that all of the tribes are just as important as you are, and why, why can't we be priests also? And so what God did to show that Aaron was God's cho choice, the priest, the tribe of Levi, they took a rod from every representative of every tribe of Israel and put it in the tabernacle, and, and the one, and Aaron's rod was a dead stick, but it came alive and, and uh, bore fruit. That was God's way of showing Israel that I've chose the tribe of Levi and specifically Aaron to be the, the high priest. So uh, they had to constantly deal with people complaining, <laughs> and so he did that for them. Here's the contents. Uh, we have, let me back, I'm sorry. Over here we have Aaron's rod that budded, the jar, the pot of manna, and the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. That was inside of there. You always wondered, uh, the rod must not have been too big, or maybe a short rod because it fit in that Ark of Covenant. The jar wasn't very big, and the two stone tablets of the uh, Ten Commandments must not have been very big because they all fit inside of the Ark of Covenant. That's the contents there. The mercy seat. The mercy seat was a picture of the type of the throne of God in heaven. The mercy seat was made of pure gold. Remember the uh, bottom part was made of wood overlaid with gold inside and out, but the mercy seat was solid gold, which probably meant it was very heavy. It had a winged cherub on each side facing each other with wings outstretched above them toward each other. Remember I shared with you last week and next week I can uh, get you the verses on it. One thing about Satan, before he fell, the Bible called him the anointed cherub. Which many, it said, it said in fact it's a book of Ezekiel I think it is, said he was the anointed cherub that covereth which many believe that he was one of the cherubs who hovered over the throne of God before he fell. He was a choice cherub called the anointed cherub, but it says that covereth. The covereth what? The covereth the throne of God. So the mercy seat had two cherubs on it, cherubim, hovered over the throne, the mercy seat, as believed that one time Lucifer was one of those cherubs before he fell. In his pride, he says, I'm not satisfied with what I'm doing. I want to be like God. <laughs> and, of course, God kicked him out. And it's called by the fall of Satan. And how many angels did he take with, his, with him in his fall? It said one-third of the angelic host. And how many angels are there? They're numberless. That means that one-third of the numberless numbers went with him. And those... Fallen angels are called demons today. And they're the ones that are cohorts with Satan now to try to defeat man, to destroy man. The mercy seat was beaten and hammered from one solid piece of gold. They took some Israelite Jews that were very handy, craft, and made this out of solid gold. The mercy seat and the angels that hovered over. Remember, cherub, cherub is singular, cherubim is plural. So you see the word cherubim, 
means more than one, one cherub. It was placed on the top of the ark. Again, the mercy seat. That was a picture, a type of heaven. The, mer the mercy seat pictured the throne of God in heaven. So when you go to heaven, uh, you'll see a throne. And hovering over the throne will be two cherubs hovering over the throne. What kind of angels are flying around the throne? Isaiah 6 talked about seraphim. Remember that? Each one had six wings. So the cherubim are hovering over the throne of God. The seraphim are flying around the throne of God, crying, holy, holy, holy. And by the way, here's a question for you. When you go to heaven, we see three thrones or one throne? <laughs> okay. Now, remember there's one God who exists simultaneously in three persons. Who are the three persons? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when you go to heaven, will you see three thrones or will you see one throne? Now, the difference of opinion. Of course, when Isaiah had a vision, Isaiah chapter 6, he saw one throne, and who was sitting upon it? The Lord Jesus Christ. I believe there will not be three thrones, there will be one throne, and Jesus Christ himself is sitting upon it, because the Bible says, for all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily in him. Think about it. all the fullness of the Godhead. Well, who's that? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit dwelleth bodily in who? Jesus. So I believe we'll see Jesus sit upon the throne, the same person that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. There will not be three thrones, there will be one throne, and the Lord Jesus sitting upon that throne. And this mercy seat is a picture of that, a type of that. Now, why, there's another question. Why does he have angels hovering over his throne? Now, the commentary says they're to protect the glory of God. Protect the glory of God from who? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're protecting from. Unless maybe, you know, they may think there'll be another uh, uh, rebellion of the other angels. But uh, uh, I don't know. I think maybe the angels that fell would be enough warning for anyone who tries to transgress and rebel against God, as Satan did. Here's the measurements of the mercy seat. 45 inches, of course, the same thing as the Ark of the Covenant itself. Oh, anyway, long, 45 long, and 27 inches wide. Must have been a beautiful thing to see. Annually, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone the sins of all the people. We already looked at Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. That talks about the high priest doing that for, uh, for his people. Happened every year on the Day of Atonement. Now, the high priest would do, when the animal was brought to the uh, bronze altar, the animal would be slain he would take a bowl of blood from an animal slain at the bronze altar. He would go from there. He'd go to the brass laver and wash and cleanse himself, his hands and feet. He would go from there into the tabernacle. The first part was called the holy place. He would go through that and go next to the veil. Remember, the veil did not have a zipper or door in the middle of it. He 
had to go around the side. Remember when Christ died on the cross, the veil was rent from top to bottom in the center in the, in the tabernacle in the temple in Jerusalem. So the high priest had to go around the side and go into this most holy place. He did that once a year, and he went with blood, the bowl of blood. What would happen if he approached the throne without the blood? He'd be struck dead immediately. There is no approach to the God, a holy God without blood. How do we approach the throne of God? Through whose blood? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed on Mount Calvary for us. And so that's a picture of that. So he had entered the holy, most holy place with a bowl of blood and with hyssop, and he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat to atone for his sins and also the sins of Israel. That's what God, Christ did for us after he shed his blood, took it to heaven and sprang upon the throne of God in heaven. God offered mercy so sinful people could approach him to the amazement of angels. Now, interesting, this uh, PowerPoint, I purchased this. Now, so much of it, I've changed a lot of it and added to it. But this is one of the statements that was made by the person who made this PowerPoint. He said, God offered mercy so sinful people could approach him. That's true, but notice what he said. To the amazement of what? Angels. I, I thought, where did he get that from? Does it say someplace that the angels were amazed by this? The only place I can think of how angels might have been amazed. Go with me now to 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter. Of course, it's not talking about the Ark of the Covenant. 1 Peter, please. You have Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 12. Back up in verse 10, you can see what it's talking about here. 1 Peter 1, verse 10, and to which salvation the prophets have inquired, search diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto them. Talking about the Old Testament prophets many times would prophesy the coming of Christ and his sufferings on the cross, and they did not fully understand it, so they searched diligently to understand what it was said. They wrote sometimes they did not understand themselves. But verse 11, searching what? What manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So again, they didn't fully understand. They searched it, but they uh, talk about he came the first time to suffer. He came the second time to reign. But look in verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto who? Us. They did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Notice what it says here. Which things the angels, what? Desire to look into. What does that mean? Of course, it's talking about Christ suffering on the cross and how the apostles preached it through the gospel. And it says the angels desire to look into it. Again, I try to look it up. So many commentaries just... Over that, they don't even comment on it. But the ones who do, many believe that the angels really don't fully understand all of what Christ did for us. They don't fully understand how the King of Glory, the Creator, who sat upon the throne of glory in heaven, would humble Himself 
and take on human flesh and come to this earth. And Hebrews said he was made a little lower than the angels. How could the God of heaven do that? And come down and take on human form of flesh as a man and then live a life, allow man to beat him, criticize him, and then nail him to a cross. How could their creator do that? And it implies here they didn't fully understand all that. They have a desire to look into it, but don't understand it. But praise God, we do. We understand why he came. He came for us. And he allowed his own creation to nail him to a cross. He died, was buried, and rose again. But again, it's believed that it said they desire to look into it because they don't fully understand why their creator would do that. I don't know that fully, but that's what I think there. All right, let's move on. But why he said the amazement angels, I don't know why it said that. That's the only verse I know the angels were desire looking into something. All right, let's move on. Time is slipping away fast. The mercy of God is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ, which saves all sinners from their sins. How many are grateful for the blood of Christ? His blood was shed for us on the cross. He was the Lamb of God. As John said, it takes away the sin of the world. And he died and shed his precious blood, whereby we might be saved. And we can approach the throne of God through his blood shed on Mount Calvary. One sacrifice for all sin. Our efforts to be good people are not enough to approach God. Jesus alone is the way to God. Anybody know what John 14, 6 says? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by what? Me. So, you know, all other religions teach salvation by good works. That we approach holy God by being good people. My friend, that won't cut it. <laughs> you have to be perfect to approach the, the, uh, the presence of God. And, of course, the blood of Christ makes us perfect. Allows us to enter his presence through Christ. Because Jesus is our high priest. The Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne to obtain mercy and what? Grace. Turn to me now to Hebrews chapter 4. Many of you know this verse already. Hebrews chapter 4. Remember, Aaron was the high priest. After the tribe of Levi. But the priesthood changed because they, they, they didn't live forever as Christ did. Remember, Jesus Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not of Levi, tribe of Levi. Hebrews chapter 4, look with me in verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Seeing then that we have a what? A great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast for profession. He passed into heavens, remember? He took his blood with him, sprang upon the mercy seat, and he is there now interceding in our behalf as our high priest. Verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. But verse 16. Let us therefore come what? Boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I'm so grateful. Notice that because we come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, 
What kind of throne is it? It's a throne of grace. Now, the unbeliever approached the throne of God to be a throne of judgment. But for us, it's a throne of grace. And that we can come boldly. Interesting, I wish they didn't have them back then. I wish they had cameras. We could watch the high priest enter the most holy place. I'm confident he didn't go in there boldly. I'm sure <laughs> he went in very carefully and made sure he had blood with him. We're going to study the garments of the high priest. On the edge of the bottom garments of the high priest, what was there? Anybody know? There were pomegranates and bells. Why were there bells on the bottom hem of the garments? The scripture does not tell us, but it's believed the high priest, as he was doing his service for the priest, you could hear it because the bells would jingle. So when he went into the Holy of Holies, the other priest would listen. He'd go in there and he would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy. And as he did that, no doubt they'd hear the bells jingling. Knowing he's still alive, he's still all right. But there's believe that he went in there and they did not hear anything for quite a while. It is believed, not set forth in scriptures, believed that before he went in, they had tied a rope around his ankle. And then he would go around the outer edge of the veil, go in there and sprinkle the bird. But if he went in there and there was no noise for a long time, it meant he was dead and no one would go after him. So what would they do? They would drag him out. <laughs> now, there's no record of that in scripture that is implied by tradition but uh, that it, uh, far as the rope around his ankle, but there is bells around the bottom garments of his garment. We're going to talk about that next week. That when he did a service for Baptist people, they could hear him doing it. All right. The cloud and pillar of fire. We got about nine minutes. The cloud and pillar of fire. Remember when God, he dwelt among his people in the daytime, he was a cloud at nighttime, he was a pillar of fire. We'll see that. The Lord manifests his presence with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know, this shows the care and mercy of God for his people. Remember, they were in the wilderness, which was a desert. What's the temperature like in a desert during the daytime? Extremely hot. So God appeared as a cloud between the people and the hot sun to shade them from the hot waves of sun. What's the temperature like in the desert in the nighttime? Extremely cold. And how did he appear at night? As a pillar of fire. He brought coolness in the day and warmness at night. God takes care of his people. Amen? Exodus 13. If you got that, go ahead and turn there. Exodus 13. In verse 20, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 13. If you don't, don't turn there, I can read it to you. Exodus 13 and verse 21. Here's the scripture that bears out what I just shared with you. Exodus 13 and verse 21. Genesis, Exodus, the second book of your Bible. Verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire 
by night from before the people. He was with them throughout the 40 years in the wilderness. So they could see his presence by a cloud at the daytime and a pillar of fire at nighttime. Here's a picture I found I want to show you. This is in by nighttime. There's the tabernacle. And over the tabernacle dwelt the presence of God. And all Israel could see God by that pillar of fire. I thought that interesting. You know, there must have been a lot of tents. How many Jews have come out, out of Egypt? They said there were several million, at least two million. Now, there had to be a lot of tents <laughs> surrounded the tabernacle. But they remember, he gave a description on what tribes will go well where around the tabernacle. It would rest, this pillar of fire would rest above the tabernacle, directly above the mercy seat. The fire did that. We saw that already. I'll show you a picture again. The Shekinah glory, the fire directly above the mercy seat, they could, the high priest could see that. When the cloud or pillar of fire moved, the children of Israel followed. That's how he directed them. And when it stood still, they set up camp. But when God would come up and he stopped moving, it was time for them to break camp and follow it. Wherever it stopped, they camped there until it moved again. Numbers 9, uh, uh, if you can get a chance, you can read that. It's exactly what it says, that he would lead them in daytime by a cloud, by nighttime of a pillar of fire. And when it went up to move, they followed it. When it stopped, they camped. It gives the exact description of that in Numbers 9, 15 through 23. Next week, we're going to talk about the high priest. So please come back. We're going to talk about him, the garments, what, the type of material, what he wore, and how he used that to represent the people of Israel. All right, I'll let you out five minutes early. And let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. If you didn't, I, did I go too fast? You get all the notes? If you did not, now let me say this with you. If you came in uh, halfway through the class, if you want the notes from the previous classes, just text me or call me. And here's what I'll do for you. I'll give the notes with the answers already in it, okay? <laughs> I have both. I have it with answers, without answers. I gave it to you without answers, so you can fill it out from up here. But if you missed a class or... We're not here. Maybe you just came in. The, maybe the, missed the first two or three class. Give me a call and talk to Jessica and say, ask Pastor to give me a notebook of the first two or three classes. And next week, I'll bring you the notes with the answers, okay? And no extra calls. How's that sound? <laughs> All right. Let's bow together. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for our time together to study this most wonderful, amazing uh, tabernacle you gave Moses instruction to have built and how you dwelt among your people in that tabernacle. I pray, Father, we'd uh, gain much insight and truth about who you are and how you can be approached uh, even today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.